there are a couple songs I put up, uh, and I was like, this was going to be on the record, but it's not, so you guys can stream it and enjoy it. And then so many people would say, I want this. This mm-hmm. should be on the record. So I actually changed my mind on one of the tracks, which I never would have anticipated uh-huh. happening. So this dialogue is a new thing for me. Hello and welcome once again to Ear Fuel. As always, I am Joel Freemark. You can follow me on Twitter at, at the Daily Guru and at Get Ear Fuel. What you just heard at the top was part of my conversation with the always wonderful Anya Marina. We'll get to that interview after we take a quick look, though, at a brand new album that I really, really dig. The album I want to focus on today is the new release from Julia Halter, and it's called Have You In My Wilderness. Now, if you're unaware of Julia, this is her fourth solo record in as many years, and all three of her previous albums are well worth checking out as well. I reviewed one a long, long time ago. I think it was 2011. I reviewed her album Tragedy over at YouTube.com slash The Daily Guru, so feel free to go punch that up and get more information there. Now, this one, however, it takes a very good but sharp turn from those other albums, as it's it's far more atmospheric and it's almost ethereal on some levels. I, I could never get away from that word while I was listening to this through and through. Let me get this out of the way, though. This album was made for big stereos in quiet rooms. That's not to say your headphones won't do the trick or you're going to get some inferior experience with headphones on. But when you let this one loose where it can like bounce off of the walls and really take up all that space, man, it is good stuff and it really gives it a whole different experience. The first track, it's called Feel You, is a really cool way to open things up. It's got this almost Yoshimi-era flaming lips, quirky bounce underneath, and my brain kept telling me, hey, this also has a Beck feel and sound to it as well. All in a good way. It's not like she's copying, but you can kind of hear those influences playing there. But the sound that she gets there is almost impossibly unique, and even though this vocal wasn't one of my favorites on the album, the small things like the bells in the background really make the music here more than worth the listen. It is a great introduction to things. Once you get past that song, the bottom kind of drops out on this record in a good way, and the moods get really thick and deep. Tracks like Lucette Stranded on the Island completely surround you to an almost hypnotic level, and How Long, the song How Long, has this still feel to it, it was made for bitter winter afternoons, you know, when the wind is just biting your face and your headphones are kind of your only solace. This song is going to play so well in that situation. I'm looking forward to it. In contrast, the song Silhouette is so damn summery and bright, you can feel the sunlight hitting you in an open field, and yes, just as enjoyable as the darker moments. For me, though, this album really started to flow and take shape in the second half with Night Song covering you like a warm blanket, and, and the songs all fall seamlessly into the next, with the highlight for me being Betsy on the Roof. I know I'm giving a lot of like encapsulating language, but that's really what this album feels like. You get drawn in, and you don't want to leave. But getting back to Betsy on the Roof, I really felt like the album should have ended after that song. It was just... It was just, you know when you hear a song and it's the ideal closer, this was that on this album. And the last two songs that are after it, while they're good, I don't know, it just it just didn't sit right with me. I, I felt like it just should have ended after that track, but whatever. There are tons of influences at play throughout the whole record. You can hear inspiration from the Beatles, Pink Floyd, Trip Hop. It's all over the place, but it manages to work for her at every turn. The vocals are unquestionably the star of the record, but man, the music is so, so good. And to tell you the truth, 
it. This is one of the rare occasions that I listened to an album streaming on the web, and as soon as it was done, I immediately went and bought myself a copy. I was that taken by it. The bottom line is, this album makes for very, very happy ears, as it it settles in wonderfully and it explores such a wide range of tempos and moods, but the feeling your ears get is never disturbed. You know, the, the, the sounds around it will change and the pace will change, but your ears are just always happy. It is it is quite rare that someone can pull it off, and it's very difficult to do. So kudos to Julia on this new musical approach. She is heading out on tour and is no doubt worth the ticket. So the other week, I sat down with Anya Marina, and we discussed everything from crowdfunding albums to music documentaries to how people interpret a song to, well, I don't want to ruin it, but there were many laughs had. If you aren't already a fan of Anya, first off, what's wrong with you, really? She's been doing solo records for more than a decade now, and she actually went to Pledge Music to crowdfund her next album. It's going to come out early next year, and as a lot of you know, Pledge Music is one of my favorite things in the musical universe. I think it's everything right about the future of music. You can find her over on Twitter at at Anya Marina, that's A-N-Y-A-M-A-R-I-N-A, and she's also got a great podcast over on SoundCloud and iTunes and everywhere you can get podcasts. It's called We Know Nothing, so be sure to check that out as well. So sit back, relax, and we'll let the magic of technology take us to this fantastic conversation that we had the other week. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. It's really fun. So, you know, the chaos of moving and getting the website moved over. And um, so now we're back into the rhythm. This is so this is every game. week from now on. It's every other week because on on. Right, you, I mean, you, seriously, just get <laughs> with the program. No, because I'm putting the podcast out on the weeks opposite of when I'm on the radio. Okay, I like that. Yeah, yeah, but no, it's it's get doing married, all that. Take and, over yeah, world. Get married, do that. Move, get the videos back. Get the online. RSS feed. Uh, it's just been it's been a it's been a nerdy few months for me. So, but you you spend a lot of time in the digital space in very interesting places because you're you're running your new album on Pledge Music. That's true. I've never done any kind of crowdsourcing thing mm-hmm. before. I was heavily against it, but I needed the money. No. Sure. <laughs> It's, it's why people crowdsource is because you're like, I don't have twenty three thousand dollars to go it's record so, this. How you did know, you know? How, that you know. was I think I spent I have so far spent twenty five. Really? It's insane. Yeah. Because the funny thing is people don't spend money on music. They mm-hmm. don't want to pay for records. No. Um and they don't even want to pay for shows. I find myself doing that too with my friends. I'm like, Oh, your band's playing, can you get me on the list? <laughs> and then if you're a session musician, uh-huh. All of a sudden, that theory gets flipped, and you're like, "Well, I'm worth at least two hundred and fifty bucks for a half an hour of show." Course. So, and then you feel guilty as the employer, the songwriter, the singer. Mm-hmm. You feel guilty asking anyone to play with you for less than like, I mean, fifty bucks is really bottom of the barrel for like a gig in the village or something. Sure, sure. But often, I'll play a show, and they offer you almost nothing. You know, a couple beers. Yeah, they're like, aren't you just doing this for fun? Right. And for your artistic endeavor? And sure. then you're like, yeah, but I'm hiring three guys that each want to make 200 bucks. Right, right. So so then um, do you, oh, yeah, have you... Yeah, pledge music. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> have, you, have you liked the pledge experience so far? I have, yeah, because it's organized, although I've, I've been remiss the last two weeks. I have mm-hmm. not even posted an update. You're supposed to do one update a week, otherwise you sure. lose your fans. But, um, it makes them angry. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool because you amass a whole bunch, like a library of videos mm-hmm. and all these little B-sides. And I have a head full of stories anyway, so it's kind of fun to sit down and write an email and be like, okay, let's like post the demo of this song. Sure. It's going to be on the album and give it away and then 
you know, see what people think. There are a couple songs I put up, uh, and I was like, this was going to be on the record, but it's not, so you guys can stream it and enjoy it. And then so many people would say, I want this. This Mm -hmm. should be on the record. So I actually changed my mind on one of the tracks, which I never would have anticipated happening. So this dialogue is a new thing for me. Usually it was just myself, the record label, my manager making these decisions. But now I don't have a record label, and uh, it's really just like, okay, let's make the fans the label. That's sort of the premise sure. of Pledge Music, is is like aggregate your fans. Is that a verb? It is now. Okay. And, it works perfectly. And then like have this back and forth so that really they're they're like sponsoring you. They're sponsoring you as, a, as an artist, mm-hmm. as a, a record, as a, you know... As everything, so it's it's been cool. And and do you feel, um, do you feel better about this record because you've had kind of that fan that that early reaction, or you know, because it's so different from kind of holding up in a studio yeah. and then six months later saying to everyone, "Here is the completed the project." Is it do you, do you feel? Yeah, because I think when it, when you make unilateral, you probably know this from being in a relationship that's serious. Um, you, you, you know, making unilateral decisions has its ups and it has its downs when you're just in a vacuum making decisions, like before you met your fiance, mm-hmm. wife, whatever, girlfriend, I like All same partner. Sure. It <laughs> um, I'm from Portland, like, oh, well, I'm from California. So uh-huh. like uh, in the, on the, in the Pacific Northwest, you hear partner constantly. You can it's use very it. It's confusing. fine. I'll take it. Okay. I'll take it. So anyway, qualified. Is it okay to say your fiance? Or That's she, perfectly okay. fine. She is that. Okay, I wasn't sure how yes. how into your personal life we were getting, but it's we're gonna okay. talk about anal. We know it now. <laughs> so just wait for later. We'll, we'll just we'll just ease into the anal. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's got to be the pull quote. Um, so where were we? I forgot. Oh, unilateral decisions. Yeah. When I'm making those, uh, it's it can take forever. I can overthink things. And they're not always the greatest decisions. Whereas when I bring in a team or I have like a few people that I really trust, Mm -hmm. it just takes the pressure off a little bit. I don't have to do what they say, but it does help to have somebody kind of like helping you navigate the ship. And for years and years, I've been single and I've been in this kind of captain's role on my in my career. Sure. So a lot of times I've looked back and thought, you know, that was not a great decision. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and I was so sure in the moment like no this is I remember one thing in particular that I had this my first real LP on a record label was called Slow and Steady Seduction mm-hmm. Phase sure. 2 yeah. so the label at the time Chop Shop they wanted me to work with this mixer Ken Andrews he was in Failure mm-hmm. and On and he was a great mixer he still is mm-hmm. no way I could ever afford him now but um, <laughs> at the time I remember I gave him this track Vertigo and it was like two minutes long, and I I said, mix it. And so he cut out a verse, he took the chorus, he l- repeated it twice in the the second instance, and then I think he repeated it like two or three times, and he, he chopped this, it was like plastic surgery on this. I mean, he really did a number on this song, and um, I, and then he added some other little synth, like, synthy thing, mm-hmm. and um, I was so livid and offended and like this is the worst 
possible creative move. He ruined my song. Yeah. I hate this. I'm a sellout. I sound like a, this sounds so cheesy. Uh-huh. And uh, I told the label, I'm like, this is a bad, bad move that yeah. we're going to have this guy mix my record. It just does not sound good. I feel my heart hurts. Like it felt like someone socked me in the gut. Sure. And uh, thankfully, I had a good A&R at the time, John Rubley, and he said, sleep on it. You know, just sleep on it. This is a regular reaction. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I slept on it, and, like, I, I, I was literally sick about it for at least three, four days. I went back to it and just reopened the file, double-clicked on it, and, like, listened. And I was like, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> this is so good. It yeah. ended up being a really successful song. Uh-huh. It ended up in a, a number of things, TV shows and whatnot. I love that song now. I don't. I don't, wouldn't even ever want to listen to the demo of it mm-hmm. before. So in in instances like that, had I been left to my own devices, I would never have had the success or or the joy of hearing like a kind of a, like a little piece of ear candy, you know, which mm-hmm. that song ended up being. So do you think that that comes from you know being a singer songwriter where everything is kind of all on you basically, so that whenever there's a a collaborative part of it, it's just, it's a little bit out of the norm. Yes, that's such a great point. It's true. I think if I were in a band, things would be different. I would have a whole different aesthetic from the get-go. But because I I was in a band, my first thing was a band when I was like 20, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I forget how old I was, but it was my first ever musical experience. And uh, this band was like this kind of shoegazer. They're great. Andalusia, they were called in the mm-hmm. Bay Area. Shoegazer-ish, um, like ride, slow dive, cocktail sure. twinsy kind of band. So, of course, I appreciated those bands, but it wasn't my thing, really. It was very ethereal, and they asked me to write lyrics and sing and be the front woman. And um, I did, and I remember them commenting on some of the lyrics and i was like this is never gonna work like i'm not changing lyrics <laughs> yeah, for you guys right. and they were like we're a band we're gonna split everything like we want to weigh in that never works it never works never works no, gotta so. have a captain on the ship yeah but it was fun and i cut my teeth and they did let me do they did let me write my own lyrics and they kind of stepped off mm-hmm. but after that experience kind of taught me that i guess i'm not that much of a team player and and I don't know, again, I don't know how bad that is necessarily. You know, you see the idea, you know, when bands go into it and they're like, everybody's going to have an, an equal say in it. It just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, you have to have Mick Jagger. Sometimes Keith Richards will be there. But, you know, Ron Wood is, you know, he's going to be a little backseat. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it has to happen. It just, it, I cannot think of a band. And I'm going to go ahead and say this so okay. that people can tweet at me. I love it. And rip me apart. I cannot think of a band where everyone has that equal say. I mean, even Fugazi, where you have, you know, Ian and Guy Pichotto, who are, are kind of equal. Y- y- you have the rest of the band. I, I will, yeah, I I will challenge the, the listeners. Yeah, I person you mentioned. Guy Pichotto, he also produced uh, to show you. Blonde Redhead's Melody of Certain Damaged Lemons record, which is my favorite Blonde Redhead. Oh, like, wow. He produced that. It's, it's an insane record. But I will challenge everyone listening. Find me a band that everyone had an equal say. Not you two. Oh, God. Can anybody get in the room with Bono's ego? <laughs> I mean, really, the only band I'm actually thinking of, maybe R.E.M., maybe, mm-hmm. maybe R.E.M. before Bill Berry leaves the band. Maybe. But you still you still have Stipe, who is one of my heroes. Bill but, Berry? You know, drummer. Is that his name? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who was the other one? Because he lives in Portland. There's another. Mike Mills? No. Scott? There's no. Yeah. Uh, unless I don't know the name of oh. the gentleman who pl- replaced uh, Bill Berry I when he that's... left the band. The drummer? Yeah. I'm not sure. Quite possible. Who's the guitar player? Mike Mills, and then you have Peter Buck, 
Okay. Michael Stipe. And I Bill should Barrett. know this, but one of them lives in Portland. It's okay. Michael okay. Stipe lives somewhere in the city. And yeah. I, I want to bump into him one day. I want to be like Francis Bean and be able to call Right, him, and just like father. call Michael and just be like, hey, whatever, right? Can you be like my life coach and give me life advice, Michael? Just, yeah, I just sit there and listen because you just, He's, by osmosis, you just yeah. get so much genius He's amazing. That. I remember buying that record um, with a Crush with Eyeliner or whatever uh, on it. Monster. Yeah. Yeah. Orange one. Yeah, I love yeah. that. That was such a great song. It, 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 you know, one of my favorite things, and I was actually talking about this because uh, it came up on the iPod when we were traveling the other week, and uh, the story behind Country Feedback, mm-hmm. which is on, I'm pretty sure that's on Out of Time, that it was the entire lyric is improvised. Like the band was oh, playing. I think I remember reading Michael that. went in with like two or three sentences on a piece of paper and just did the whole lyric, and there's actually a flub on it. He starts the second verse, waits, and then oh, restarts cool. the second verse. And to me, I was like, that's the the pinnacle of Michael Stipe, that he can just walk in, just do a, do a vocal, and walk out, and it's better than just about anything else out there. Yeah. You know. That's my favorite thing when, when you hear those little flaws on mm-hmm. a record. I love that. That's why I love so much of Stephen Malcolm's solo mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And I love Spoon, because they always have weird background noises, like clicking. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, like, sat there in my room with my headphones turned all the way up going, what is he saying? You know, yeah. or the Beatles, or they're like starting songs and stopping, and I can't think of which one. But no, the, you know, it's 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 one of the things I really don't like about digital recording is that you can just delete the imperfections. Yeah, and the imperfections. I mean, it's it's I like dirty records. Uh, not not all the time. I mean, certain things you want it clean. You want to you know like you know like a Daft Punk record. Mm-hmm. You want it clean. That's true. It's it's got to be right. But, you know, with, with like a rock and roll band, like the last Gogo Bordello record that came out was so clean and it drove me nuts. I'm like, this uh, is this is a band that used to just like hang around the Bowery at two o'clock in the morning doing whatever. Yeah. And they just have this really crisp, clean sound and you just, you, you take away uh, the soul from it. If any band needs a dirty sounding album, it's Gogo right? Bordello. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's heartbreaking because you're like, oh, this record's so crisp. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. What are, are you recording analog? Are you doing digital? Are you doing a little bit of everything? It's digital, but I try to have it sound as analog mm-hmm. as possible in the sense that you know I hire actual musicians we're working in a house you hear like creaky floorboards mm-hmm. we recorded a couple songs not to click I think um, which was really fun mm-hmm. and uh, so it has a much more like rough and tumble feel the one half the record was recorded in Williamsburg at my friend Roger's studio okay. Roger Green and Walt and every 30 seconds a truck drives by so it's like periodically he would stop the tape and go, unlucky truck. Yeah. Take two. It was a little, it was a little too loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, vroom. but you hear a lot of that, which I oh, love. Yeah. I love that stuff. And um, I I hate when, um, no offense to any engineer I've ever worked with, I hate when they, <laughs> they'll, they think that they're doing me a favor, but they clean up all the breaths. Yeah. And I'm always like, put it back. Like, I, right. I don't want the song to just start. Without it, I want you to hear the person going, you know. Tori like Amos. That. Oh the, my God, like, so good. All over the place, and it's it's part of the sound. Yeah, it's, it's part of why that music is so sensual and yes. just gorgeous, is because you hear every single breath on the stuff. Right, all of them. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. Yeah, so you're you're in good company on that, and I think a lot of people out there are just like, yeah, it's, you know, when you just cut in on the vocal, it's just not it's not natural. Yeah, I think that's why it's so important too to like put a lot of effort into mixing and mastering, mm-hmm. which I'm doing now. So I have to 
I have to make some good big decisions now. This is the not fun part for me of the recording Making process. the big choices. Well, like artwork and design, mm-hmm. um, I'm stalling so much. I had to like get so much support around that today. I was just like calling all my friends saying, I'm procrastinating. I can't <laughs> put the fucking album things sure. together and like send it to the guy. Because I have to kind of visualize which what do I want this to look like? And then it's final. There's mm-hmm. something about that. That's it's done. Yeah, it's just like, it's scary. But I've got the lyrics all printed out, mm-hmm. so that's good. But just, it's not fun to do all the, like, copyright by, you know, legal. Right. All that, like, publishing company, ASCAP, BMI, like, getting all those credits right. I hate that stuff. It's just not fun at all. And then doing all the thank yous and hoping you don't spell someone's name wrong. Totally, or forget. I mean, God forbid, <sighs> forget people. Yeah, I've actually true. had friends say... You know, I can't believe you didn't thank me in the record. It's just like, please, God, you have to know that those don't mean anything. It's not like that's the least important part of the record, but it's kind of the least important part of the record. It's just anytime you read an album thanks, if it's a male band, Mm -hmm. I would say they're just thanking their legal department and the girls that they've slept with. Basically. Yes. 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 It's, you know, I, I... I never take offense <laughs> to like the girls they want to sleep with. Right. <laughs> for next oh, time. I can't believe you thanked me in that album. Oh, it's no big deal. No big deal. Can we stay with you next time right. we're in Tucson? Exactly. Exactly. They're just planting the seed to harvest <laughs> later. It's all that's happening there. Um, do you have a projected release date yet, at least in your uh, mind? January 29th, 2016. So, yes, you definitely do. Yes. I'm hoping for that. I mm-hmm. kind of want to push it back a little to February, but mm-hmm. just because everybody's getting back from the vacation sure. whatever from their holiday but i don't know i also just want to get it get it out there be done yeah i mean it's been recorded it's mixed it mm-hmm. just has to be mastered so and we're now talking in what september yes or whenever this airs soon <laughs> October. yes no it, it's airing in september it's most definitely airing in september it's, yeah um and are you going to do just digital? Or are you going to do physical releases for it? We're going to do physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have a CD player in my home, but I'm going to make those <laughs> CDs for uh-huh. people who do. Okay. Yeah. I think it's cool. I like holding on to something. I remember Absolutely. seeing Jack White at one of uh, his last White Stripe shows with mm-hmm. Meg at um, the Old Tower Records in L.A. Mm-hmm. on Sunset, sure. where they converted it to Achy Thump Records. Uh-huh. And he did this whole monologue about how important it was to to support bands and to actually buy physical copies Absolutely. of stuff. It was great. I was moved. I remember like having goosebumps. I'm, I'm huge on that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not into, I had a conversation with someone the other day. I'm not into buying air. You yeah. Know, Cause that, that's, that's all an artist is doing is like, here, here's, you know, it, it I want to hold it. I want to look at the record. I've been so happy with the resurgence of vinyl. Granted, it, it sucks for my vinyl habit because all my records are more expensive now, but I like that new bands are putting out, you know, big art and they're getting into the gatefold and they're putting in cool liner notes and stuff like that. I'm 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 all about physical should, media. You just now you're making me think I should uh, have my art guy do some do the same template but for vinyl because he's just doing this sure. CD right now. I mean, here's the thing. I will have five people that will be psyched about vinyl. Right. And that and that and that <laughs> and is the problem. And I have to press up at least 100. At least. Right? More yeah. like 3. Probably closer to that, but you know, I mean, there's a, there's a couple more pr- printing uh, pressing plants. A new one is opening in Brooklyn right now. Okay. Um, the name escapes me, but they they just got a couple presses and they're going to be doing it. So hopefully that means they that also sell artisanal pickles and cheese. I'm sure and mayonnaise. You got to get the <laughs> artisanal. Yes. Um, uh, it's, it's pomade, pomade. My poor neighborhood. Um, <laughs> 
But no, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to find places that will do small run vinyl also for some reissues I want to do. It's just, you know. Reissues of what? Uh, some hardcore from Jersey oh, from the cool. mid and late 80s that, you of know. Bands that you supported or liked? Yeah. Or were in? Uh, no, I, no okay. not that I was in. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I got a hold cool. of the master tapes because some of them, you know, they were only released on cassette and the mix is just horrible. Oh, my and God. And so I've been working awesome. with some friends of mine. We're, we're remastering it and then we want to put it out. Did uh, you see that movie about Anvil? Is that, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. What was it called? I think Anvil. It was called There's Anvil something. the Movie. Yeah. I think it was called Anvil it was the Movie. so sad. Yeah. That's been the cool thing about Netflix is that so many of these music docs are yeah. getting out there. That, a band called Death. Um, oh, I don't know that. Uh, they're, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for them to do one on Pulse. Uh, you know, but just so many. That would be so good. It would be so bizarre. It needs to be a three part. At least. <laughs> at least. Because I think there are just so many people who want their say. Like, <laughs> I got a story for you about Pulse. Oh, yeah. I know when I met you. Yeah, right. I said, uh, I think that, well, how did that go? I forgot. Because well, we, we found, you know, through Cindy, through Dead Rock West, who have been guests on this as well. Um, right. When we, we were seeing them open for X and we were talking about Cindy and uh, Frank and somehow it got back to probably Patrick. No, I think because I knew Cindy and Frank from San Diego. Okay, right. I there was we go. really close with them. Yeah. And, um, I knew Frank when he was in the band with Gregory Page mm-hmm. called, oh, why can't I think of it? Anyway, they played the old sod all the time. It's uh-huh. the something brothers. It's Hatchet brothers. Well, yeah. That's right. Was yeah. it the Hatchet brothers? I don't know. It was a pretty It sounds grim, right to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when I was dating Steve. And I said, yeah. yeah, I dated somebody that knew them. And you were like, who? And I said, Steve Bolts. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, you must have some stories or yeah. something. Oh, Steve. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I dig that there's so many, you know, so many smaller bands and so many like obscure little bits. Uh, more people are getting to turned on, turned on to it and seeing what has happened to some of these great bands. You know, like what happened with Anvil or Pentagram. Rocky I really want to watch that Stephen Merritt mm-hmm. documentary. Mm-hmm. The guy from... Um, Stephen Merritt, I will think of it, Red Cross. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched that, but it looks like a great film. I think you have to rent it on iTunes. They put out a new record, what, like two years ago, I think, and it was good. It was surprisingly good. Uh, I think it was was either two or three years ago, the most recent Red Cross record. Uh, Awesome. I never get sick of memoirs Mm -hmm. or music docs Mm -hmm. or any kind of documentary, Yeah, I can, you know, I have so many music docs. Like, I still haven't seen the final version of uh, The Punk Singer. Um, It's so good. I, I haven't, I haven't just... Like, I have this huge queue of them, and I haven't gotten to that yet. Uh, just watched uh, Salad Days, which is about DC Punk. Oh, yeah. It's really good. I think that was on Hulu. Shout out to Bad Hulu. Bad Brains and uh-huh. Fugazi and yeah, everybody. Yeah, all that minor threat. Why did I think Bad Brains were in um, Hermosa Beach or Manhattan Beach? Where, but they weren't, right? No, no, no. That Bad Brains like, are DC. Okay. So uh, Hermosa Beach, you've got, like, that's California. Okay. You know, Hermosa Beach, you've got, like, well, that's Huntington, actually. It's Circle Jerks. Um, and just wildly hardcore bands. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's cool. Like, and it's great to be able to tell my friends like, Hey, go check out this thing. <laughs> or even on YouTube, like people who are, who are shooting these really small, super low budget stuff and they're putting their, them there or Vimeo and you just get this really cool insight into bands you just you know nothing about. Totally. Did you see Montage of Heck? I did. Oh, you look upset. Joel. I, it was it was, that was tough to watch. It was. It was it was tough to watch. Um, and I and I think, I think I read something that Crazy Courtney, you know, wants to do her own version because she feels so much has been left out. But it's just <laughs> you know, it's like let it. That was it was tough to watch. But, it was um, lived up to the hype of, of yeah. just you know being destructively beautiful. Um, I enjoyed that one a lot. I usually 
whenever it's a larger budget thing, I find myself actually walking out on them. I mm. get really mad. Like I walked out on Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash pick that came out a number of oh, years ago yeah. because it was so Hollywood and and so far from historically accurate. I was just I was mad about it. I could see that. And yeah, you're did, a real music. I, I'm a, a nerd. You're a purist. Yes, and and you know I did that with Ray. Although Jamie Foxx was great. They were just taking right. too many artistic liberties for me, like they did with The Doors all those years ago when Oliver Stone did the Val Kilmer film. I was like, this is this is a movie kind of based loosely on The Doors and right. Jim Morris, and I want a real documentary. So Yeah, I, th- um, I feel you. I enjoy almost any level of, of documentary also. Like I saw um, the one about the Southern California band with like Carol... Carol the bass player I'm forgetting now but the um rest wrecking crew mm-hmm. that was great mm-hmm. and it was it actually wasn't great let me qualify that not a fantastic documentary in fact there was some controversy around it like Carol doesn't it hasn't signed off on it or yeah. doesn't love it but it was really entertaining just because there's so much old footage that's what I liked so much about montage of heck yeah. I was shocked at how much old footage they have had of Kurt all those tapes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible. He kept so many diaries, and and I think they used his actual like writing. Yeah, a lot know? of it. Yeah, it, so it was it's... really special to have to sort of feel privy to that. Right to get to get kind of an insider look on that. Yeah, it's, it's oh technology, you're so wonderful. Did you document uh, other than the stuff you did for Pledge Music? Did you do any documentation of the new record? Um, nothing that's not already on Instagram really mm-hmm. I should have there's one little like teaser that's going to come out where it, but it, there's just a little behind the scenes stuff but no I mean we had I forget to do that stuff we had a professional photographer come by thanks to Dave Depper who produced a lot of the record in Portland and he's now in death cab for cutie but he was like let's bring this guy by and so uh, this really nice uh, photographer Jason Quigley came out and he took a bunch of photos and then uh, Spencer Gentz, who did one of my videos, came out and shot some mm-hmm. stuff, which ended up in the Pledge video and, again, will be in this little teaser movie. But n- nothing too scandalous. Has your, has your writing style changed? Because, you know, the music, if you if you go back to your first record, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot more kind of direct singer-songwriter yeah. style. Not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way. You know, there, there's a clear musical evolution. Um, do, you, do you like kind of the direction things are going or...? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's been... It's weird to listen to the first record for mm-hmm. me. It's always a little uncomfortable. But when I think about it, at the end of the day, and that's such an overused, hackneyed expression. We'll let it go. I am a singer-songwriter, mm-hmm. you know, even though I think that that term has gotten such a bad rap. But, I'm, you know, I can to pick up an acoustic guitar and entertain a bunch of people for an sure. hour with some songs. Um, I couldn't do that with a, a keyboard, you know, um, so I'm fairly limited. But um, I can't recreate the sounds on the record all by myself necessarily, mm-hmm. but I can get close on a few songs. So that'll be challenging for the next tour because this next album, it does have a lot of like piano based stuff and um, Stuff that I that's more rhythmic. There's mm-hmm. like one song that's almost entirely percussive with just a vocal on top, and then like these rad guitar solos that I cannot play myself that Dave <laughs> played. Sure. So that'll be interesting to see if I can even pull that off on tour at all. I might have to use some tracks behind me, but uh-huh. I think my songwriting has evolved. Um, it's hard to talk about how because I mm-hmm. don't look back a lot. So um, I think I've probably gotten more comfortable with certain stuff that I thought was uncool, like. Um, the songs that have an old-fashioned sound uh-huh. to them, sure, they have reappeared, and that's always been a part of my, I don't know, 
songscape in my mind, like because maybe because my parents raised me with a lot of jazz and like cabaret and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's a song or two like that on the record, and then there's like rock and you know. I don't know some dancier kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean it's definitely uh, there's definitely more to it sonically in the in the last few records than the first one. It's just it's 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 building out where a lot of people who do get put under that umbrella of singer songwriter, it's it's the same thing. It's like oh, it's an acoustic guitar and lyrics. Right. It's another twelve songs of that, and that there's nothing wrong with that. But it, it really seems like there's uh, there's been a lot of growth as you've been expanding into different sounds over the last two or three records. Yeah, I feel like with the second record or the one the main one that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that came out slow and steady um that was so much fun and it was so whimsical because there was a lot of percussive stuff and a lot of loops and i had never written around loops before and that's Mm -hmm. when i was um kind of playing around with my friend brit from spoons um loops that he would send me and i wrote a lot of songs around those and that helped color my sound i loved that that was really fun and then on the next record i just kind of wanted to stretch my wings i was living in portland it Mm -hmm. was it's a very dark city it's got that vibe and um i just want to make like a sort of i don't know just like a more portlandy sounding record i was really inspired by the city i was walking around in the rain a lot mm-hmm. um and i kind of wanted to try my hand at producing myself so that was really fun and uh it had almost no commercial appeal because right then that was the time when my record label was cutting ties with their parent label and uh-huh. going somewhere else so that record didn't really have a chance. So on this one, um, it's been fun to do the pledge thing and kind of see, like, okay, what is it like when, when I don't have a label telling me what to do or which direction to go in, and I can, like, hire my own PR person, marketing, sure. et cetera, sure. and uh, see where it goes. But I've learned that what's happening on radio now is not at all what I'm what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like on pop radio or, or Hot AC or AAA. Sure, sure. Some, who was it? that I consulted a bunch of, um, you know, like big radio guy guys, I say, because a lot of them are guys. Um, I did ask my one radio indie friend who's a female, but she's busy. Um, they were like, yeah, it's just not you're this is a, a strange hybrid between you're not quite in Hot AC uh-huh. and you're not quite in AAA. So... I don't see it fitting in. It'll be good on specialty radio, but it won't like end up on you know on whatever Jack FM or something. Sure. And I was like, well, <laughs> why is that? And they go, there are too many guitars. It's confusing. Huh. And I was like, that's interesting. And then if you listen to the radio, there aren't a lot of guitars. No, no. It's, and if, even if you go into top forty, it's not there. Yeah. There's none. There. You know the the. Uh, I. I firmly believe that we are losing the art of the riff of mm-hmm. the monster riff like you know when was the last time you just heard like just a killer rock and roll tune yeah it's they're, they're kind of fading and even you know more intricate guitar work is is kind of being forgotten at the moment which you know it'll it comes in waves i hope and it'll it'll come back at some point but that's interesting that they said that so do you think from how the product turned out will you do your next record through pledge i mean did you like the overall process by not having kind of you know corporate overlords I, I think, I mean, we'll have to see how this goes because mm-hmm. the goal is to get it to, into as many people's hands as possible. Of course. Um, I'd love to because um, you can also retain the masters, you know, which is so important as an yeah. artist. I mean, I'm not going with a label. I could. I know people that have done Pledge and then have ended up with a label, mm-hmm. but um, I chose not to do that. 
So I'm excited to see what will happen. This is It feels like it's a much more empowering road mm-hmm. to take. It's scarier because you don't know if you'll, you know, make your bottom line. But it's exciting, too. You know, it's also been fun to be able to hire who I want. And I've gone with, like, a third uh, hiring a third-party female uh, who has been working my stuff to indie movies and things like that. And so the stakes are sort of, I don't know if the stakes are smaller, but um, maybe the, the things that I'm going for are smaller, but it feels more uh, appropriate to where I am. And mm-hmm. and it's so much better than being like a small fish in a big pond and just not being able to get your phone calls answered or to really get any traction for your work. Yeah, I'd much rather hire, you know, do I guess it's more grassroots, you know. Well, it's it's not that you're in a big pond anymore. It's your own pond. You yeah. you, you you define the pond. Right. It's it's gonna. I have no idea what this is gonna look like, but it'll be really fun. I'm excited. It's it's the best way to go about it, and and you know you already know your fans are into it because they're responding already. That's true. Yeah, I know it's early still, but we'll see. They're good. They're good fans. Some, it's funny because you don't really know how many people are actually listening. Mm-hmm. Like I do a podcast too, sure. like you, and uh, you know we solicit for emails and calls. It's an advice podcast. It's called mm-hmm. We Know Nothing. So every week I'll say, send me your dating advice sure. or life questions. No, like we get like no emails. <laughs> My co-host would hate if I was say, if they knew I was saying that. But it's true, we get mm-hmm. so few emails. And I and then I asked them how many people are listening to us a week and they came back with all these stats and they were like, you know, it looks like 7,000 people sure. a week. 7,000 people a week mm-hmm. and maybe two or three emails a week. Well, and that I will say. Just so you, so you yeah, know, so you, yeah. to make you feel better, okay. if you look at terrestrial radio statistics, mm-hmm. less than one half of 1% of listeners call in at any point right. in the listening process. So it's, it is still in a lot of ways a one-way process, even though a lot of people think that podcasting is more intimate and it's more interactive. It's not. It's not. You just have to trust that somebody's out there nodding their head. Right. Because think of it this way. If you think of the biggest podcasts out there, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, whether it's what the fuck or whether it's like Nerdist or something like yeah. that, the interaction level is higher in number. But I have a feeling percentage wise, it's exactly the same. I think you're right. So. Yeah. I'm not one to ever call in or write in. I don't, right. I wouldn't want to do that. You know, what are you, what are you like? Hey. I'm shy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'll just do. I'll make a bunch of email addresses and I'll just we'll just have everybody. Everybody who's listening, we'll just have them all email their relationship problems. Yes, you know, please. We'll combine forces because, please, music nerds have more relationship problems than just about anybody. You think? You know, I've always said it. I don't feel bad that I can relate to music better than I can relate to people. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just is like it's something I've had to work through so that I can have a functional relationship. Yeah, how but for the hell years, did you do that? And, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. But for years and years, like I'd say, I don't get what you're saying there. And then, they, you know, I'd put on like a Stooges album or something like, but I understand that emotion. Yeah. So I think it was trying to like <laughs> take what I'm hearing in like, you know, like some avant jazz or something and saying, oh, that's what people do. And and just kind of making all of those connections. Up. Right. Because it's this one way conversation mm-hmm. in a way. Or it's not a conversation. It's just like, I don't want to know what Liz Fair really meant behind X, Y or Z. Song. Sure. I just want to know what I think she meant. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and even John Lennon, so many musicians have said that that basically, you know, once they put it out there. Yeah. Whatever you want it to be, that's that's what that song is about. It drives me nuts when I see musicians say, oh, no, you have the wrong interpretation of my song. Oh, really? Do you hear that? 
Some people, yes, I've heard it many times. And it's like, but wait a second, I have my own life experiences and I'm applying your music to my life experience. Yeah. And now it has this meaning to me. So I, um, I remember dying to know what certain artists that I loved meant by mm-hmm. certain songs. And then I'm kind of glad I couldn't, you know, there wasn't really the internet at that right. time. I was right. like going to, to the library and looking shit up on right. microfiche at one point, <laughs> like trying to find like, what is this Old song school. about or songmeanings.com and all that. Sure. Um, and I don't know. I guess I've forgotten about it, but it doesn't really matter ultimately. And um, it's interesting when people ask me like what a song, what a song means, and I'll I'll tell them like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm because I felt like I never got answers, so I'll give people what I think. And I'm like, well, it can mean what it means to you, but this is what I was going for at the time. That's where this song came from. Yeah, and then um, they'll tell me their interpretation. It's like insane. I'm always shocked. Like. What? And there was a just, whale and then the wizard? Yeah. What do you mean there was a wizard with a making mashed potatoes? A bridge. I don't get it. But that, but then you have to be gracious and be like, well, I'm glad yeah. like, that this song could have that impact. Yeah, for or it. I'm like, shit, I wish I would have meant that. That's really <laughs> cool and astute and like yeah. interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, Mine I'm, is just like, oh, I was sad about a guy. So I wrote a song about <laughs> being sad about a guy. It wasn't, yeah. That just that world. word just rhymed, and that's why I used it. It just. I was I was trying to finish the damn song, and so yeah. I went to thesaurus dot com, <laughs> and I just found a word, and it worked. Yeah, my mom will go into long winded interpretations of my music, and then she'll link it to my psychological health at the time, and I'm like, <laughs> that's not fair, and you need to stop. It's the worst. Like. Yeah. Yeah, she'll be like, remember how you were telling me you were dating someone new? Well, I was listening to this song from three albums ago. And haven't you learned your lesson from that song? I'm like, oh, my God, you need to take a nap. I'm never giving you another one of my records, (laughs) ever. Ever. It's a bad idea. Yeah. (laughs) Well. Mm-hmm. On that note, uh, thank you for coming by. Thank and you making so some much for having me. Good luck with the record, mm-hmm. and um, we'll see you on tour. Thanks. This has been great. All righty. My thanks again to Anya Marina. Be sure to check her out on tour this fall. And hey, go follow her at, at Anya Marina. She is a wonderful Twitterer. Before we get out of here, I do, of course, have your weekly ear fuel assignment. I would not at all leave you without that. Fear not. For those of you new to things, each podcast, I give out an album that you should listen to that week, this week when you're listening to it, without any distractions whatsoever. I really believe that the idea of listening to music for the sake of the music has been almost completely lost as we now relegate music to background noise when we're driving, at work, working out, whatever. And this is about taking time each week and consciously listening to music a specific album this week since we mentioned him in the conversation your ear fuel assignment is steve poltz's chinese vacation album now over the past 20 plus years of my life steve has always delivered the most entertaining and unforgettable live performances i know of and while all of his records are well worth owning This one will always have a special place in my heart for a number of reasons. He blends the most heart-wrenchingly beautiful lyrics right alongside lines that will leave you in tears from laughing so hard, and he presents the full range of emotions across this album. From the darkly personal California, to the outright perfect Lost Without You, to a personal favorite, Stax. Oh, one of the greatest breakup songs ever. Steve is truly in top form on every song here. The music will have you hooked instantly, and the lyrics, they'll have you singing along in no time. They kind of demand that of you. If you're still not convinced, there is a track on this album called Give You Up For Lent. 
I mean, come on. How can you not want to hear that, right? Really, though, Steve Poltz has a gift like no other musician in history. So do yourself a favor and check out Chinese Vacation. Thanks again for joining me. As always, you can find me on Twitter at, at the Daily Guru and at Get Ear Fuel. And hey, if you enjoyed this, and I hope you did, go ahead and tell a friend because uh, that's the greatest thing you can do is give friends things that you like, right? That is your weekly Ear Fuel. Share and enjoy.